Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, Bailey Hancock here. Welcome back. We have a really awesome guest today. Lara Dolch is a health and lifestyle coach who helps women go from formerly active to confident, healthy, and powerful again. But before that, Laura was an entertainment marketing executive for Comedy Central, the Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, and more. So we're going to get to hear all about that first phase of her career, what made her switch over to being her own boss, and then hopefully get some great tips from her health and wellness-wise for all of us, because I think we all can use that. So (laughs) welcome to the party, Laura. Thank you, Bailey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so happy to have you. I'm all about health and lifestyle, wellness, and you know, it's it's technically the new year right now. I think by the time this airs, we're a month or so to so in. But uh, this is great advice year round because we quickly fall off the wagon. At least I have multiple times. So, yeah. Before sure. we get into yeah. all of that, though, tell me about phase one of your career. Did you want to be in entertainment and marketing when you grew up? Did you have a different path? <laughs> school for how did it all begin yeah well it's funny it's funny that you refer to it as the first phase of my career which i guess technically it was but i did other things prior to that i I actually my first job at a sorry is that even better so that was phase two yeah it was something i don't know i've (laughs) uh i've done a lot of different things but yeah my my first job out of college actually was as a preschool teacher um i i studied yeah i studied psychology at the university of virginia and i had kind of a um concentration, early childhood development. And so that's what I thought my career path would be around, um, you know, was either getting an advanced degree in child psychology or, um, you know, I actually got accepted to a um, education and social work program in New York City when I lived there and ended up turning it down because by then I had sort of taken a different path. But yeah, I mean, I, um, the entertainment marketing thing, to answer your question, yes, I absolutely did that very consciously. but having said that, I, you know, prior to that, I um, sort of stumbled into marketing. And I, I think um, I had taken some business classes after I graduated UVA and marketing was really interesting to me. And I think it's probably because it's psychology, right? I mean, totally. that's essentially what yeah, marketing is. Yeah, it's manipulating people's brains to get them to buy something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, how, that's how some would define it for sure. Yeah, can be yeah. either way. It can be for good or evil, but... Yes, I think. Well, I think of it differently now. I think of it. I think of marketing as sort of being in the place that the people who need you are looking for you. Right. Um, but yes, some some use it for manipulation for sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, how did you go from preschool to entertainment marketing? What happened there? Totally. Well, so I I taught school for the first year after I graduated, and then um, a close friend of mine at UVA who actually had grown up in Seattle had come back out to Seattle and. I was sort of in this restless, like, what am I doing with my life? And because you're what, 22 ish at this time? 22. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're listening and you're in your early 20s, don't worry. Everybody has that. Everyone has. And you'll have it several times, probably every decade (laughs) has been my experience. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I, um, so she said, you know, come out to Seattle. You can just, you know, stay with me until you figure out what you want to do. So I did that and I ended up, um, working for a temp agency and got placed at a company, um, a game company called Wizards of the Coast, which uh, was a startup at the time and ended up in marketing through that. So that was the first step, but it was total, I mean, it wasn't entirely happenstance because I had identified this interest in marketing, but the entertainment path 
was random, right? So working for Wizards of the Coast, I was exposed, you know, we did, we had licensing partnerships with um, various Hollywood studios, you know, to create games based on their property, so on and so forth. So that's how I was first exposed to film and television as an industry. Um, Which and is then funny, because I feel like a lot of people very purposely try and break into that and have trouble. So it's always funny when you were like, oh, whoops, here I am. (laughs) Well, yes. And I did, once I decided that I wanted to work in that industry in earnest, because Wizards of the Coast was kind of, you know, by its side, it wasn't exactly film and television, but yeah, I totally got stars in my eyes. I was like, oh, I'm going to work in television or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I very consciously from that point, you know, I was like subscribing to the Hollywood Reporter and Variety and all this stuff, really trying to educate myself about the industry and was looking in LA and in New York and just ended up in New York first. I mean, it was literally, and actually, believe it or not, my first job in television at Comedy Central, I responded to an ad on like monster.com. Does that website even exist? Wow. I I don't think I've ever known anybody to actually get a job from one of those job boards. Well, and by the way, my job at Cartoon Network same thing. Wow. What year yeah. was this? This was, I know it's crazy, right? It was, uh, let's see. So Comedy Central, I was hired in 1999. So it was a long time ago. Um, and Cartoon Network was 2002 or 2003, but yeah, both of them were ads. Now, yeah. That makes more sense though, because it was less crowded. Yes. I think back then it was still sort of a new concept to post a job online and actually totally. get it. So. I feel like nowadays there's so much noise on those sites mm-hmm. that you have to go so much above and beyond to actually get called yeah. back or get a job interview. Well, and I also think that's right. I mean, you really have to, and even then you had to really work to make sure that your resume stood out and, you know, but yeah, it, I mean, I was, I mean, in many respects, I was very lucky. Um, and it also turned out <laughs> the guy who hired me at Comedy Central, who was still a dear, dear friend, um, went to UVA. <laughs> So and so that's super he was, and I was young and, you know, it was a, it was an entry level position. He's like, I like you. Okay. We're both alumni from the same school that helps. And you guys don't help. knock that. I think in my yeah. earlier days, I was like, Oh, I got to get a job all on my own. I don't want anybody to no. help me. And it's like, wait, but that's how you get a job completely. Yeah. You have and in, I think in all respects in life, like, I don't think there is any shame. In fact, I think it's probably stupid not to use what you have, Completely. not in a manipulative sort of way, of course, yeah. but absolutely like use your network and use your alumni connections. And I mean, yeah, that's how you, that's, that's how point. you rise. That is the whole point and do it yeah. for others too. Don't forget to. Absolutely. Yep. So, totally. how, so he kind of just went out on a limb then a little bit, it sounds like, because <laughs> you were preschool education, you know, majored in psychology and then had this, how long were you at? Um, the well, yeah, I had been at Wizards of the Coast working in marketing for four years. At that oh, okay. Point. So you weren't yeah. a newbie anymore. No, wasn't a total newbie and, and you know, had the entertainment industry. I mean, the fact that we liked each other personally and went to UVA was helpful, but it was, he Not wouldn't helpful. have hired me if I didn't have some experience um, in promotions. At totally. The time. Yeah. And that's a good point too. Like, you know, I think when people think about switching career paths, they jump straight to the job that they would love to have. And and see the big insurmountable distance between where they are and where they need to be. And a lot of times get scared away from it. When in reality, you know, the temp agency comes up a lot. That yeah. opportunity for getting into a company or a new industry entirely yeah. 
by temping there is brilliant. It's yeah. so smart. And I'm sure for you, like you had an inkling that you liked marketing, but it wasn't until you got in and started doing a little bit of it that you got to actually say, oh, I, I'm actually good at it too. And I can That's exactly that. right. That's exactly right. And the temp placement, I mean, that started it all. So um, yeah, I mean, even if it feels random, do it because you just never know where it's going to lead. And Wizards of the Coast ended up on a huge, I mean, as I said, they were a startup at the time, but they eventually, um, they created a game called Magic the Gathering, which kind of put them on the map, became oh, yeah. very popular. Very yeah. And the world know about Magic the Gathering. <laughs> yeah. And they were acquired by Hasbro about a year wow. after I left. So, you know, I benefited from stock options too. Oh, so there yeah. were all kinds of ripple effects from that. And that was a temp placement. That's so great. Yeah. Think about that as an option, you guys. If you're thinking about making a switch, just get in and try a bunch of stuff. Don't be scared. Yeah, totally. So comedy, you land at Comedy Central. What were you doing there initially? So initially I was, um, I was hired as a manager of promotions marketing. So my job was to support the advertising sales effort by putting together what's called added value promotions for advertisers. So, you know, in order to incentivize them to spend money on Comedy Central versus other networks, we would develop, um, you know, we would integrate them with the Daily Show with Jon Stewart in some way, or we would put together a sweepstakes, you know, highlighting their products and, or give them additional on-air time. So my job was to put together these creative marketing programs. That, yeah, it was super fun. It was, it was really fun. And um, what happened from there? How yeah, long so that, there, by the way? I was there, oh my gosh, three years-ish something like that. Yeah. And then really I just got antsy. I mean, comedy was great. It was a great fun, but it wasn't, um, I didn't sort of vibe with the programming mm. that much. <laughs> I wasn't the demographic, right? <laughs> young male viewers. Right. I was so gonna say, especially back then in the early days of it, it was definitely more of a male focused audience. Yes. Yes, for sure. And you know, it's funny because I actually, as a result of that experience with that demographic, that's part of why Cartoon Network hired me because they were just launching adult, adult swim, which oh. was the same demographic. <laughs> Which so I, I was obsessed with, you know, back when it first came out, it yeah. was so different and cool and, you know, edgy. Yeah. And that was, I, I can't even remember if it was on air yet when I started or if it was just, I don't remember the exact timing, but that's part of why I got hired there. And so, but it also gave me the opportunity to work on, you know, kids programming, which was really fun for me. Um, and yeah. And so I stayed with them for four or five years doing similar work just at a, a higher level. Um, so, so that I'm was a step sensing, up. I'm sensing a pattern so far and I have a very similar pattern, which is about three to five years yes. for each kind of gig. Yes. Do you feel like you get a natural itch at about that time to start moving on, growing? What do you think it is for you that causes that next trigger, the next move? Yeah, I get bored. I mean, yeah. that's, that's plain and simple. I get bored. And the only time that that has not happened is since I started my own company because you cannot possibly it's get really bored. It's really hard to get bored when you <laughs> You cannot there. get bored. Yeah, it's not, it's not possible. So yeah, but when I was still in corporate, it was, yeah, I would say three to five years is about right. I mean, the fact that I was, you know, I left Cartoon Network to, to eventually go work for a smaller entertainment company um, that's now part of DreamWorks because it was like a, a they were rebuilding their management team and I was being brought out on as part of that. So it was, again, it was growth from that perspective. Whole new challenge. Yeah, exactly. That's so, awesome. um, so yeah, I would say it's just cause I get antsy. I feel you. For better or worse. <laughs> I think that's most people too, whether they acknowledge it or not, there is it. And it depends on your personality. It could be early as two years. It could be as late as seven years, but I think there is that natural evolution within us. That's like, okay, I've been there, done that, seen it, you know, yeah. gotten the sticker, I'm ready to go. 
And Mm -hmm. whether you decide to actually make that next move or not is kind of up to you, but I'm a big fan of switching it up, but not when you're like at that dire, I can't do this anymore point. No. Like as you start to notice that it, like that itch starting to get you again, you're like, "Uh Oh, I'm at two and a half years. It's coming. That's the perfect time to start looking long before you're like, I can't do this another day. Like, Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. Well, and I have to tell you as an employer, I wonder about people who jump around quite that much. Like if I see someone's resume that where they've been at things for, you know, less than two years repeatedly. Yeah. I, I'm like, mm, what's happening here? Yeah. To me, <laughs> to me, that's a signal of they haven't found their thing yet. And it's always potentially, yeah. From the entrepreneur side or from the, um, the manager side to be like, well, is this going to be their thing or am I going to be another jumping point? That's right. I think there's a way to work with that too. If you are that person that has a lot of those kind of very short-term pieces of experience, so two years and under, there's a way to, I think, leverage that to make yourself not indispensable to a new company, but actually worthwhile to hire. Um, And I think a lot of that comes down to transparency when you're being hired Mm -hmm. and really being able to tell the narrative of your career story in a way that doesn't feel chaotic and scattered and flaky. Um, but you know, you got to really own that narrative and it's not always easy to connect the dots. So that is something to be mindful of, but definitely. So you get past, you know, what are we on like seven years or so between comedy central cartoon network, adult swim. I assume you started to get the itch again. (laughs) Yes, I did. And I can't remember. I also, at that point in my career had recruiters calling me, you know, several times a year. So opportunities were being put in front of me, even if I wasn't kind of roles. Um, many of them were, most of them were a step up. So, you know, they would be like a vice president or senior vice president level, um, where I was at a director, senior director level. So it was usually a linear opportunity just at a higher pay grade, (laughs) basically. Which is always nice. (laughs) And more responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. So I can't remember. I think that's how my next opportunity came to me with, with, um, it was a company called classic media at the time. And they, they basically had acquired over the years, all of these classic entertainment properties, like where's Waldo and the Lone Ranger. And wait, do you know then where Waldo is? (laughs) (laughs) No, we never found him. <laughs> gotta keep searching, guys. <laughs> yeah, you gotta keep trying. But yeah, I mean, so they they had, you know, the guys who built this company had bought up all of these properties over the years. Anyway, and as I said earlier, they were they were rebuilding their management team after a recent acquisition by a British company. And so that was interesting to me because it felt like a startup again. And I think because I I started in the startup world at Wizards of the Coast, I didn't realize it, but that gave me the entrepreneurial bug and I didn't yeah. recognize it as such. Yeah. It's, um, an adrenal- it's kind of an adrenaline rush every day when you're yeah, a startup. It is. It's so exciting, especially for a com- if you're at a company that's on the rise, like yeah. Wizards of the Coast was at the time. Yeah. I worked at General Assembly for a couple of years, oh, right? That's when fun. they were very first launching. And that was so fun. I mean, it was, it felt like a disaster every day because you're like, are we doing this right? Do we know what we're doing? And it kind of felt like a bunch of kids running things, but we got a lot of shit done in a little bit of time and had the most fun doing it. And then as the company started growing and maturing, I was like, oh, this isn't quite as fun anymore. You know, once it starts to go into the teenage years of its evolution, where it's like more stable and there's like, HR policies and, you know, and right. all the signs of like a good company. I was like, oh, this isn't as exciting anymore. I'm bored. I'm going to move on. Totally. But yeah, I understand it. I think it did. It, it awoke, like woke up the entrepreneurial spirit in me. 
Mm-hmm. Can't help it. You're like, Wait. that's so funny that you say that though, but I was, um, a, a group of entrepreneurs that I work with, we were laughing the other day about the fact that, you know, your business is doing well when it's a little bit boring to yeah. you, because that's when you've hit your stride, when you've created systems, um, that make it a little bit boring. <laughs> Yep. The so then you have to find a creative outlet elsewhere. Yeah. Well, and I think entrepreneurial type people have that need to be a little uncomfortable at yes. most times and feel like you're creating something new. And once mm-hmm. you get to the streamlining process, yeah, it just becomes a business and that's, that's a little less exciting, but yeah. um, luckily we don't all feel that way because if we did, this world would be chaotic and have a lot of half started projects. <laughs> totally. And that's why, yeah, you've like, as an entrepreneur, you have to hire people who can, yes. you know, sort of who or excel in that sort of systemized environment so that you can then go out and build yeah, other stuff. Creating. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole fun part. And I think it's important to note too, that you can have an entrepreneurial spirit and work for somebody else. And in fact, sure. those people I think do really do do well working at startups because everybody feels like they have a little bit of ownership over it. You have skin in the game. Hopefully you've got options that will come to be if the company gets sold or goes IPO. So you don't always have to start your own business in order to feed that hunger. Yeah, for sure. Because it's also very hard to run your own business. Oh, yes, it is. We'll get to you in a second. So what happened, I guess, what was that that point, that trigger that made you say, okay, you know what? I'm ready to switch gears again, but get out of, you know, working for a company, get out of this industry entirely and start down this health and lifestyle path. Well, that's an easy answer. It was the market crash at, at the end of 2008. That'll do it. <laughs> I got laid off. Yeah. So I got laid off in December of 2008. Um, and I was like, huh. My first phone call was to a friend of mine who I didn't really know any I knew like one entrepreneur at the time. Like I knew one person who had actually built and sold companies over a period of time. He was a serial entrepreneur. And so he was my first call. And I'm like, hmm, so how do you do that? (laughs) I'm like, I think I might want to do that. Um, Yeah, I think I had coffee with him like that same week. So I was, when that opportunity presented itself, it was immediate that I was like, oh, I'm done with this industry. I'm not going to look for another job. This is my opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, and I, it really was that clear. Like, I don't think I ever considered getting another job in that industry. Um, I did have consulting. Sorry. It's gotta be a good feeling though. In a moment of, you know, tumultuousness (laughs) and uncertainty and chaos to have a very clear feeling of what you should do next. Even if it's, I just don't want to do that again. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Knowing what you don't want to do is part of it too. Right. So I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I took on a consulting client that, you know, took care of my client who had been a client at all three of those companies at comedy cartoon network and at classic media. Um, and they hired me, you know, to work with them part-time for about a year. So that gave me the financial means to then, and the time flexibility to get certified in Pilates, which was my first step towards health and fitness. And it was just something that I had always wanted to do because I had been practicing Pilates for, I don't know, probably 15 years at that point. Oh man, I know more people that have the yoga instructor to do on their list, you know, like get <laughs> yes, certified as a That I have not done, but the Pilates, yeah. Yeah. And I don't actually teach much anymore, but, um, but yeah. So it was had a good runway to be able to, you've got your bills paid. So you're not freaking out. You're getting to try something with getting in, you know, certified, which is fantastic. 
So what at the end of your certification, were you like, okay, I'm going to go teach. This is my thing. Or were you like, mm, I have a feeling this isn't it either, <laughs> but yeah, you know, there, neither one of those actually. I mean, I taught, I, I knew that it, I loved, I loved teaching. And so I did teach full time in New York at the studio where I trained, they hired me after the program. Um, and so I taught, you know, I guess technically full time. I mean, for a fitness instructor, full time is like 20 hours a week. Um, and they all have other side gigs. Right. So uh, so that's essentially what I did. And I, I must've kept some consulting clients during that time. I don't even remember. And I, and I, you know, I sort of, um, dabbled in the idea of creating my own marketing agency, but that didn't feel right either. And I eventually decided to go back and study nutrition and health coaching also in New York. And so I did that next. Um, and it was really just feeling around. There wasn't, it was, it was just feeling around for what I wanted to do. I didn't have a master plan. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, we all have that, whether you've had it yet or not, <laughs> it's probably coming <laughs> where yeah. you do, you, you either are forced into a zone of, you know, having to reconsider all of your options or you actively choose it. But mm -hmm. I think you did it very intelligently because having something to pay your bills keeps you from freaking out too much, even if it's nowhere near what you were making before, as long as you're sleeping inside and you've got yeah. food to eat, you're doing okay. And you tried things. And I think that's the most important part. And we don't often get the chance in our life to dabble once we've already started down a path of some kind. A lot of times yeah. people feel stuck like, well, this is what I'm doing. I've wasted so much time already. It's like, well, it's not a waste. That, that's still really great experience to have in your toolbox. But I see it. I get it. I understand why people feel like it's a you know, sunk cost at this point. Yeah, but I it love never is though. It never is. You can always try something different. Well, and I got to tell you, if I didn't have a business and marketing background, I would not have been able to build my business in the way that I have. So yeah. it all comes together eventually. No, you're totally right. That's the thing people forget too is sure you can have a passion and want to start your own company, but if you don't have the business know-how to get it up and running, like as an actual business, regardless of what you're selling or whatever it is, mm -hmm. like that's a very difficult part. So yeah, your experience was not for nothing at all. Not at all. Not at all. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So you went back to school. You got yeah, a, so I, a degree or like a certification? Certification. Yeah. Um, and I considered, you know, doing the whole registered dietitian thing. And I actually was more interested in a lifestyle approach to health and wellness and more sort of integrated. I hate to use the word holistic because it's so overused, but that's essentially what, it's like what it is. It's one of those words. Yeah. It's, like, it's just version. one of those annoying words. <laughs> I know, I know, but, but it truly, you know, it is. And, and that's, um, oddly that's, it's so funny. There's so many people who do that. And yet I get clients coming to me say, Oh, I've never seen anyone do it. Look at it like in the big picture way, I'm like, really? That's crazy, but great. <laughs> awesome you know, for you. That's work with I me. Mean, exactly. There's you guys, everybody has their own spin on things, even things that you think are totally overdone. And there's a million people that do this. I guarantee you, nobody does it exactly the way that you do it and has, yeah. nobody has your personal background. Nobody has your experience. Nobody has your, you know, your personality that you put onto it. So anytime people are like, well, I would like to do this, but somebody else already does it. Like how many pizza places are in one city? How many coffee totally. shops are there? There is a seat for every ass. It's my favorite. Yes. I love that. I love that. It's true. very true. I mean, and the women who work with me resonate with me because I have a corporate background, which is unusual in my field. True. So 
you know, I understand there, most of them are either in a corporate space or, you know, entrepreneurs themselves. Um, some of them are, are, you know, stay at home moms. Most of them are working in a corporate environment like Microsoft or Amazon, something like that. And yeah, like they have a hard time connecting with other um, wellness professionals who don't have that business background. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. That makes a lot of sense. So when you made the decision to become a health and lifestyle coach, what were the steps you needed to take to get there? Obviously you got a certification. What else mm -hmm. did you have to do? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that, so the certification was the big piece of it. And because I come from a traditional um, sort of education background, I, you know, I am just not the kind of person who would just like throw up a shingle. And for something like health coaching, I would not recommend that. Yeah, <laughs> That's it, not a good idea. <laughs> you got to get some training. Yeah. You got to get some training and, and some basic knowledge. So that was definitely the first step as far as like starting the business. I think I also did a lot of, um, talking to other entrepreneurs. I mean, I joined, I, you know, I, I'm just thinking back, God, it's been so long, but I, I initially joined a, um, women's entrepreneur group in New York. Uh, and, and at that time I was still trying to do both marketing and health thing and trying to figure out how they fit together. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of workshopping, um, with other people on the same path and with people who were further down the path than me, that's really, really important. I found yeah. community to be a huge driver of my um, professional success as an entrepreneur. Oh, uh, so your community is so valuable, not just for connections, but for support and feedback and, you know, honesty about, you know, yeah. what you think you should be doing. Cause we often have ideas, right. Of what's going to work. And then you workshop it around with other people who have been there, done that, and they can help save you a lot of trouble and a lot of wrong directions by Absolutely. sharing your experience. That's very yeah. smart. Yeah. And, and you can't do this alone. I mean, the, just, I have to just give a little shout out to the group that I'm part of now. It's called co-commercial. Um, and it's an amazing global group of entrepreneurs. Um, and I can't, I just, every day I'm on our, you know, we have a, private network, social network that we use and communicate. And I'm in there every day. Yeah. I have quite a few. I mean, I, my main two are boss ladies and the bra network, which stands for business relationship Alliance. Nice. We support each other. Get it? <laughs> yes. I love it. But it's I great. love it. It's very you important. Know, when I launched this podcast, the first place I went to was there to be like, you guys, I finally did it. And everybody's yeah. so excited. I mean, I think I have probably six or seven guests that are from those two networks and it's just, it's the result of people being supported as hell, but also honest with you about whether this is going to work and give you real feedback. And when you're an entrepreneur or thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, you can feel very alone all yes. the time. Yeah. So it's up to you to really build in, kind of build in your coworkers. It's like you get to choose your coworkers and you might not sit next to them, but they're still people that, you know, can support you along the way. So it's very important. Okay. Yeah. So you had you learned something, you connected with people. Mm -hmm. um, how did you go about getting your first client? That's a very good question. How did I get my first client? Um, he was the husband of a friend of mine. And it was a he. So <laughs> and it was a he. I have, yeah. Now. In fact, so, several of my early clients were men. Um, I didn't sort of, you know, start focusing exclusively on women until, you know, probably a few years ago. And that was honestly just a business decision because that's who was responding. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, occasionally men come to me now and honest, believe it or not, it's not that different to coach them, um, than it's with women. Although now my program is very specific, you know, specifically dedicated to women. So it would be a little weird, but, um, but yeah, so just through my network, I mean, and I, I got referrals from, um, my friends and contacts in the fitness industry initially, I still do. Um, 
but yeah, you got to just, you have to just, it's a slog at first yeah. actually. And, and sometimes it still is like, you know, it just, it just, it ebbs and flows. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things that I see a lot of early entrepreneurs do is, um, they're like, I'll, uh, this sounds terrible, but they're playing business, meaning that they haven't made a dollar yet. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Like, but you, you have to just make your first sale. <laughs> You just have to make your first sale. Truly. And then the hardest one. And then it, yeah. kind of, it just goes from there. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of self-worth stuff that comes up oh, for boy. people when they ask for money for their services and you have to get over that as quickly as possible. And the only way that, to do that is to a deliver value and b ask for money in exchange your for that service. value. That's been the hardest part for me. And most of the entrepreneurs I know is putting a dollar figure on what you provide people. It's yeah. very, it's cause there is a lot of self-worth and ego tied up in it. And mm -hmm. you know, you feel this weird guilt, even though you're providing something of quality and of value, but it's a yeah. tough part. But yeah, same with me. Once I got that first client, I was like, Oh, Oh no, I'm good at what I do. Okay. I can That's go. Right. Now. Yeah. That's but right. it, that first one's the hardest. It takes a long time. Yeah. And as a coach, I, I fumbled around for a long time with that, you know, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm doing thing, you know, and yeah. experience is the only way to get over that. True. The only way through it is right down the middle. <laughs> yes, indeed. And so at what point or how many years in, or how quickly did you start to decrease the consulting work you were doing kind of in mm -hmm. your old world and increase the coaching work you were doing in your new world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just sort of happened. And, and actually I still do consulting, um, in the healthcare space now. So it's, it's aligned with oh, my work. You found the middle piece on the Venn diagram. <laughs> I did. I, love that. I totally did. And, and I don't, you know, we'll see at the moment that's, that's still part of it. And it may always be, and it may go away at some, it just depends. But, um, so it was definitely not a linear path and, um, I don't, know that it ever will be. I mean, I think I don't know it's, many people who have a linear path to be honest, no, except no. my husband. He's a financial <laughs> advisor, has been his whole career and probably will be. Yes. Yeah. I feel like people in finance often have, my dad in is law, a retired medicine. Um, partner in the finance industry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Same it behooves thing. you to stick around for a while because you're growing your yeah. client base. So I understand that, but it is funny to have such a different career experience than he has. Mm -hmm. I'm the opposite. I'm all over the place and totally. have all kinds of stuff, but that makes me happy. That's that like chaos that I feed off of, yeah. you know, and the unknown. Yeah. So that's amazing. Okay. And, and I want to bring up too. So on your, your LinkedIn profile, you have that you're passionate about helping women on the rise reconnect with their most vibrant, healthy, and powerful selves so they can step into their big dreams for their career in life. So obviously yeah. I'm totally digging that. I'm picking up <laughs> what you're putting down. That sounds great. I want to step into big dreams for my career in life. So what is your philosophy, I guess, your, your yeah. health and wellness and holistic lifestyle philosophy? Yeah. Well, what I see a lot of these women do is, um, well, there, well, let me back up. The, the, the underlying philosophy is that you cannot actually do what you want to do in your life, whether that is, you know, through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail or going on a solo trip to Tibet or, you know, starting your own business or just killing a presentation at the corporate retreat, like whatever that looks like, you will not be able to excel in that way if you don't first take care of your mind and your body. I just don't believe it's possible. And any leader at past a certain point you will see has support in that area. But even if you're not, even if you don't consider yourself a leader, like whatever your dreams are, 
you're not going to, you're not going to get there if you don't take care of yourself. So that's kind of the, 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 the big picture philosophy that I come from. And, you know, the women that I work with, um, don't have a lot of time. They, uh, make the mistake of approaching health and fitness in the way that they often approach their corporate goals, which is, you know, sort of creating these grand plans. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, only eat vegetables for the rest of my life, or I'm gonna, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, you know, work out every single day for three hours. Well, no, okay. you're not, that's and that's okay, <laughs> right? No, because that because that's how we've achieved things in our in our right. professional it's life, very right? All or nothing. Yeah, it is. That's right. Right. High performing women are extremists. Yes, absolutely. And so, and it's unfortunately in the in the space of self care, it backfires every cool. single time, it's right? And we know this. Right. We're not, it's, we're not stupid. doesn't stop us from December 31st, setting these ridiculous goals and no. being like, this is the year I won't eat sugar ever again. And it's right. like, what about donuts? Because donuts are kind of- <laughs> <laughs> right. Except for those. Yeah, no. And it's true. And, and, and so I think that that's, you know, part of what the women who work with me respond to is the fact that we're finding, I mean, I guess you would call it a middle way and it feels very alien to them because they're not used to being in that middle space with stuff. Like you said, it's all or nothing, um, but it hasn't worked for them and they've tried it repeatedly. Um, and so, you know, my, my approach is to create a framework because, you know, we like high achieving women like frameworks. We I like to check boxes off, right? A box to check any day. <laughs> yes. So you got to have some framework. Um, and it has to be one that's created for you and your body and your person, your sort of unique personal situation. So, um, that's a big piece of it too. And it has to be, you know, helping you step away from this grand plan, helping you step away um, from other sort of self-sabotaging behaviors. Like for example, not noticing when you have, you know, little wins along the way, not celebrating those things. Right. Um, it's not good enough. (laughs) I know there's always that next goal to go to. And you're like, but if you keep just reaching for this, you know, 20 feet in the distance, you're never going to get there. That's right. Or you do. And what's the point? Yeah. 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 Well, and I also think, you know, a lot of women feel like, you know, they have this lone wolf thing. Like I can do it myself. Right. And maybe you could, but it's going to take you a lot longer. (laughs) And why? Things are yeah. so much more fun when you help me and you let people help you along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, you know, and, and we look at, I have a program called Vibrant Health Playbook that's designed to help them create sort of a personalized playbook for how to eat better, how to, you know, exercise more, how to get more sleep, how to manage stress, all of these things, but one that, that we co-create together. Um, so it's not someone dictating an external set of rules to you because that's what doesn't work. No, that right? does not work. <laughs> Especially for stubborn, high-performing women. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. Um, it's really fun. It's a collaboration is the way that I, I look at that. it. I love that. That's my yeah. whole other life is collaboration. And it's, it's just so much, things are so much better when you do them together with other people. Yeah. But co-creating something is, I think, the key here. And that sounds like that's what you really do with your clients is you, you have the knowledge but they know themselves, they know their habits yes. and behaviors and their needs and all of the hangups. And so together you create this program. So are mm-hmm. you working with clients one-on-one? Like, do they check in with you? How's the process work? Yeah. So Vibrant Health Playbook is kind of a mix of do it yourself and, you know, 
talking to me. So the, the heart of the program is, um, accessed on my website, actually. It's a series, it's a 10 week program and women log into my website and they access very short videos or, you know, 10 minutes or less. And then they have exercises that they do on their own. Um, and each week is a different focus and it's designed to build one week on the next with very small, um, to do's that freaks them out too. They're like, wait, all you want me to do is start eating dark leafy greens this week. That's it. I'm like, yes, that's it. Just breathe Only and eat greens. greens. Cause I can do that too. If you want. Yes. They're like, I could do that. And they're like, what else do you need? I'm like, Nothing. Just that. And so that freaks them out too, but that's how it, that's on purpose. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, and then they get on the phone with me that, that, you know, during the week as well. So there are different levels of support, but most people choose to get on the phone with me once a week as well. And that's where we can go through the materials. What, what happened? How did the, you know, food experiment that I asked them to run go, what did they learn? How did they tune into their own bodies to get the answers? And then we kind of troubleshoot from there. That's amazing. And so do they keep working with you for years at a time or is it more designed mm -hmm. to be kind of a learning thing and then they go off on their own into the yeah. and live yeah. happily ever after. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, obviously my, my goal is so that they're not dependent on me for the rest of their lives. My goal is to give them the tools to be able to answer their own questions about how they take care of their body. Um, but Vibrant Health Playbook is a finite, you know, essentially a 10 week program. There's sort of eight weeks of, of material um, and then 10 weeks of support. And then there is a, a graduate program, if you want to call it that, nice. called Vibrant Health Life, which is, um, you know, by invitation only and designed to help them integrate what they learned in Vibrant Health Playbook and then amplify it really. Um, because, you know, often that's where you run into trouble is where you're then now in your back in your life and you're trying to integrate things. And some of that happens during the original program, but many women choose to continue to work with me. And we have um, bi-weekly calls with a group and we have uh, quarterly um, workshops with experts that I bring in from my network. So it's really, it's really fun. And it's women who are all now speaking the same language because they've gone through the same program together and they support each other too. And they're amazing, vibrant, beautiful women. I bet that's and I don't mean beautiful physically. I mean, yes, they are beautiful physically too. And many of them, but you know, like I just mean beautiful people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that's an incredibly supportive community because once yeah. you've kind of come through it and seen it work for you, the maintenance phase is usually the hardest part I find. Yeah. Cause yeah. with me, it's the same thing. I'll go, go, go. I'll like jump into a whole exercise, you know, regime. And then I'll, all of a sudden I'll, I'll kind of ease off on it a little bit or I'll get sick or something will come up and then I'm thrown off and, you know, having the ability to be flexible with it and work in things that come up that will come up naturally because we're human beings with lives. That's right. That's the key to success. I don't think I've fully found that yet because I still very much am an extremist um, with most <laughs> things. Yeah. And even now I'm, my husband and I are doing whole 30 for the month, which has worked really well for us in the past, but still that's difficult. Once you're done with the 30 days, you're kind of like, well, now what, you know, what's allowed, what isn't, you kind of have this fear I did South Beach diet in college forever ago, and I was terrified of fruit for like five years. And that's the mm -hmm. most ridiculous thing ever. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of psychology. Wait, you got a degree in psychology. I'm sure that's coming <laughs> that's back. Right. Like, that's right. Well, you know, it's funny. It's those forbidden foods, right? Whether they're forbidden because they're, you know, sugar or whatever, or they're forbidden because you were taught in a certain framework that they should be forbidden. There's a lot of... Um, yeah, people have a lot of hangups around that. And one of the things that I help women do is let go of that forbidden food list, which sounds completely counterintuitive, 
but it works. I, you know, I had a, a, a client at Microsoft recently who, you know, was struggling with, like she was in, a, in the event planning side of things and she would go out to, you know, happy hours and dinners and stuff. And, you know, that she was like, but I can't eat the mozzarella sticks and I can't eat the potato skins and whatever. And she wanted them. And she, and then finally she was like, we, I'm like, just, you can have, fine, have them. And then she didn't want them anymore. I mean, it's psychology, it's basic psychology. And I know it sounds elementary, but I think that that's, um, that's one of the things that we get really stuck on, uh, is when we have anything on the forbidden list, nothing should be forbidden. Yeah. Everything in moderation. That's what I've heard. Well, that's, (laughs) well, that's hard for people too, though, because that doesn't necessarily work either, right? It's not about, yes, of course, ultimately it's about moderation, but the first thing you have to do, and this is really what I teach women to do is tune into your body enough so that you know what your limits are, right? So like I have a huge sweet tooth. Like I am a sure, I still am a sugar junkie and coming off of Christmas when we're recording this, you know, oh my goodness. I mean, but I know what my limits are and I know how to like dial it down, um, not in an all or nothing sort of way, but I've learned that over time, right? I mean, that doesn't, so you, so you have to learn how to do that first in order to live in that moderation place. So what are some very quick and dirty tips that, you know, today I could start implementing at just a very baseline level? Yeah. Well, the first thing is the dark leafy greens. I kid you not. Like if you're not eating (laughs) once a day, that's it. Just once a day, like, you know, roughly a cup. Every morning. Good. Yeah. Smoothies are good. Yes. Right. I mean, that's a great way to get them in if you're not a big fan of greens, um, salads. I mean, this could be, and we're talking about spinach, kale, arugula, broccoli counts. A lot of people like broccoli. I'm a big fan of frozen broccoli. I keep that in the oh. freezer if you just don't have time to get the fresh stuff. So frozen that's that's are the way to go, you guys. Yeah, some of them are great. Like I do. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to have. So, and actually, I'm glad you said that because that's probably the other tip is to make sure that you. And this is one of the things we work on in Vibrant Health Playbook is how do you stock your pantry in a way that you have quick things to throw together. So, for example, you know, if if today you can commit to going to the store and buying, you know a bag of pre-washed greens. Um, they have like a lot of places have like par cooked brown rice, for example, that you could yeah. just like nuke in the microwave for two minutes. Right. And then get some kind of, you know, pre-cooked pro like, you know, uh, what do you call it? A rotisserie chicken or something like I love you a full rotisserie chicken tearing. Yeah. It up and, yeah. I think it's because I, came of age in college watching Rachel Ray's 30 minute meals. Yes. <laughs> so everything is like, I say I'm an assembler, not a cook. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I call it. Yeah. I always call it meal assembly. You don't have to cook. And most nights I don't. Who cares? Yeah. I throw it in a bowl. I go, everything goes in a bowl in my house. Oh, I love <laughs> the bowl meal. If it takes more than 20 minutes, I'm out. I just, Me too. I'm most productive from like 3 PM to 7 or 8 PM every day, which is a oh, real interesting for eating healthy at dinner. Yeah. And so I hate to have to stop my work to cook something. I'm much more likely to cook a big lunch and then eat leftovers mm. for dinner mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't always work out with the other person I'm feeding, you know. Right. So that's always tricky. Incorporating another human being's health and wellness into your own is is also that right. can be challenging. Yeah, and that's that's a big thing that that I work on with a lot of women too. Is like, how do you when you have someone in the house who's not as interested in it? What do you do? Yeah. Luckily my husband is on board now because he's seen it work when he's, you know, super healthy with food and working out. I'm always bad at getting the two of them aligned, both working out and eating healthy. I'm usually really good at one (laughs) or the other, but never both. So we'll see. Just get one going. Don't worry about the other one. Just get one going, then tackle the next one. That's, that's the other thing. It's all or nothing thing. It's not going to, it's not going to all happen at once and that's okay. Yeah. 
So any final, any final words for helping us live our best lives? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think one more thing I will say is celebrate what's going well always. I mean, and it, and it sounds like such a cliche thing, but that's the, that's the way I start all of my calls with my clients is what's new and good. Oh, that's right. A and um, yeah. And that's something I learned in, in the coaching program that particular phrase, but it's the same thing. It's, you know, what's going well. Um, and that really helps. And it doesn't mean you have to be positive all the time. That would be silly. And I think there's, I think um, this cultural push to always be positive can actually be detrimental. Sometimes you got to allow yeah. yourself to have bad days and that's okay. Um, but yeah, when you can really focus on the small wins, cause that's really motivating. Yeah. And I mean, the small wins add up to your whole view on life in all reality. Yeah. Like there's very few times where there's one gigantic big thing that went well in your life. It's usually a culmination of the small little things and they're easy right. to neglect and skip over because you're on to the next. So yeah, I think yeah. this is a lot of good advice for me. I hope you guys were paying attention too, but I took a <laughs> lot of notes and I'm feeling ready to kick this off. Well, we will link to all of your programs and your site and all of your social handles in the show notes. So definitely go check it out. You guys, I definitely am going to, as soon as we hang up, cause it's new year over here. And you know, I can, I also learned to recognize my own limitations in life and to outsource the things that I'm not great at to other people who are great at them. So I think a, Very smart. a good lesson I've learned as I've moved into my thirties, you don't have to be good at all of the things. That's right. Well, thank you so much for all of these great advice and telling your story and yeah, have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks Bailey.